you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. John chapter 11, verse 35. This is the shortest scripture in the Bible. Don't get any ideas that this is going to be the shortest message you've ever heard, all right? The shortest scripture in the Bible. John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Lord, be with us this morning as we preach your word. I pray, God, that every heart and every life is touched by the Spirit of God and through the power of your preached Word. Lord, I pray that hearts are ministered to this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. Of course, this is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And with Palm Sunday comes a very interesting storyline that I want to bring into your hearing. I'm going to be drawing your attention to Luke chapter 19 here in just a moment. The story here begins early on Sunday morning as Jesus was walking toward Jerusalem. Jesus stops for a moment and sends two of his disciples ahead to a nearby village to carry out a very special errand. And here is how Luke records that event in Luke the 19th chapter. Verses 28 through 31 says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in which at your entering in shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him. And bring him hither. Now, it almost looks like Jesus is sending disciples on a mission to rip off somebody's horse. Then he goes on to tell him, And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto, unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. The two disciples must have wondered what what Jesus had told them to do, what kind of mission was this that Jesus had sent them on because none of the gospel accounts about the ministry of Christ ever mentioned him riding on an animal to get from place to place. He walked hundreds of miles up and down the land that we now refer to and call the Holy Land, but there is no mention of him ever riding except in a boat across the Sea of Galilee. But now... He gives this unusual command to disciples to go 
to a village and get a colt that had never been ridden and to bring it to him. He, it, it must have seemed like a strange command uh, for, for them to go and do so. Uh, he, he even tells them the exact words to use when they were questioned. They're to say, the Lord hath need of this colt. Well, was this some prearranged thing that Jesus had already set up before they ever got there? Did the owners know uh, what Jesus was going to do? Were, were they going to pull out their gun and go to war over somebody stealing their colt? We don't really know all the details here, but it's obvious, though, that Jesus knew what he was going to face as he entered into the city of Jerusalem. So his decision to go into Jerusalem must have been one of the most difficult decisions that Jesus had ever made. It's one thing to walk into a problem not knowing. It's another to know what you're walking into. And on top of that, to ride into the city on a colt rather than walking in as he had done before must have been even more of a difficult decision because riding on a colt in the city was a public declaration that he is now a king. You see, in times of war, the conquering king would ride upon a prancing stallion, but in times of peace, a king would ride in upon a colt to symbolize that peace had prevailed. So for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem upon a colt was to declare that he is king and to declare that there was great peace that was coming over all the city of Jerusalem. So how, how would the people respond to that? Would they recognize Him? And would they recognize His kingdom and understand that His kingdom that He had been teaching them about was not a kingdom of this world, but was an eternal kingdom or a spiritual kingdom? He was, he was to be a spiritual king or a ruler over some spiritual kingdom? For three and a half years, he, he had been teaching them. But they still did not fully understand. Perhaps some of them would greet him with laughter. Maybe they would be amused by what Jesus was doing. Somehow, many would think this is a ridiculous picture. A carpenter declaring himself to be a king. It's the Palm Sunday story. Perhaps some would, see, would think... He, this man must be crazy. He must be a lunatic living in a world of fantasy, imagining himself to be king. He's Joseph's son. He's a carpenter. He should be walking, not riding on a colt. Perhaps others there would greet him that day with anger. They would meet him upset because they would interpret his riding into the city as a form of arrogance and maybe a form of blasphemy against the king. And particularly when there's mentions of him possibly being the Messiah, there would be an outrage and to consider that he was blaspheming against God himself. Of course, there would be those that would greet him with joy and welcome him as an earthly king. 
They thought he was coming to reestablish a kingdom upon the earth that would overthrow the Roman Empire. The strong fist of the Roman Empire was about to be broken. They were ready and eager to place the crown upon the head of their Jewish leader that was announcing himself to be king or warrior that would go into battle and put a stop to the oppression of the Roman soldiers. Among the crowds that day would be people, people that he had healed. Some were among maybe the thousands that he had fed on the hillside as he was teaching and taking baskets and breaking and causing miracles to feed 5,000 from just a handful Many more would be there that day. There would be those who had seen his miracles and listened as he spoke with authority and had listened as their lives had been changed by his ministry. Jesus knew all of this. He's now getting ready to ride into the city. His mind is racing. He he must have been thinking ahead. What are all the people going to say? What are they going to do? Somehow I believe that he knew that just over the horizon was a cross. Just over the horizon, death was looming. But Luke tells us that in spite of it all, that Jesus still set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem. Jesus gets on the colt and begins to ride toward the gate of the city. And the crowds are growing. They're amassing. They're in a festive spirit. And the air is seems to be High spirits, people are laughing and talking. It's, it's Passover. Passover is the time when the pilgrims gathered from afar and came in near for this greatest of all Jewish holidays. It was a family celebration. It was a national celebration. It was a cultural celebration. People were now coming and gathering to, to gather to celebrate and, and even Before Jesus arrived that day, the news had spread that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and people are waiting to hear the details of the story. They had heard the news, but they want to know the details, exactly what happened. Can you imagine the excitement that was prevailing that day? People are saying, have you heard the news? Lazarus died, was buried in a tomb so long that his body was decaying, but the teacher from Nazareth called Jesus had come, and he spoke a word, and he told Lazarus to come forth, and he comes forth out of the grave, and they saw him, and they stripped away the grave clothing, and he actually walked and breathed and lived again. Surely they're saying this must be the the, the, the Messiah. Only the Son of God could perform such an amazing miracle. Who could possibly do this? So this news now travels from one person to another until they they, they, they finally hear 
that Jesus is about to enter the city. They run from the corridors of the city and they run from the alleys and they run from their homes and they run out to Main Street. They're getting ready. It's going to be a parade now. Jesus, the new one that is about to announce himself king, is going to ride into the city. He has just performed the miracle and Lazarus, you know, Mary and Martha's brother, is now alive and it's a celebration that is about to take place. In the crowds that collected on both sides of the road, there were people from all sorts of the world that were there. There were those that had come and had cut down palm branches and were ready to rejoice and they were chanting and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. Glory to God in the highest. Hosanna to the King. Excitement prevailed through the city. But then, but then Jesus must have looked over the waiting audience that amassed on the sides of the street. And he must have seen the mixture of expressions upon their faces because not everybody was smiling and not everybody was rejoicing and not everybody was waving palm branches and ready to celebrate his arrival. There were those. There were those who loved him. Perhaps Bartimaeus was there, a man who had received his sight and, and no longer no longer is in beggar's rags. He's there to welcome Jesus. How about Zacchaeus? He had paid back his debt to society and had made his peace with God and he is there. He's there to celebrate Jesus' arrival or, or maybe the lepers that he had cleansed. They're standing unrecognizable along the side of the road. The only way that one can know because maybe their skin was not perfect from the, the scars of the disease. But they had been cleansed and now they're rejoicing because they can be back in the city. And people can know that, that they're there and they're healed. And, and hey, this is the man we told you about. This is the healer. This is the one that did it for us. And maybe, maybe Jairus' daughter was there. You know the story, the one who, who was a ruler in the military and his daughter died and Jesus brings her back to life. And we love to tell the story when he tells all the unbelievers to leave and go home. But then he raises her and maybe, maybe she was there and she's there dancing and celebrating life again. Jesus has brought me back to life. He's the man. He's the man. He's the one that did it for me. Then, of course, Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene. Maybe they were all there and their lives are reflecting the deep love that they had for him. And they're still amazed. How is it that Lazarus was dead and now is alive again? This, this, this great man that had molded them and shaped them and changed the course of history for their life. They're all there. And they're all rejoicing. But as Jesus looks over the crowd, he sees, he sees that it wasn't just, it wasn't just those that rejoiced. There was also the sinister faces that were there. Faces with obvious expressions. Those waiting for him to say one wrong word or to make one mistake. 
The Sadducees and Pharisees were there. They were supposed to be keepers of the law, the spiritual leaders. But Jesus had gained so much popularity that they felt threatened, so full of jealousy as they watched him. And then, of course, there were the Romans. The ones that some of them thought were about to be overthrown. And of course, I think they may have been fearing the revolt and watching for a sign of, 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 of rebellion against the Roman Empire. They were there waiting to crush any uprising, standing with clenched fists, ready to go to fight. Jesus realized as he listened to their hosannas that soon... The sinister voices would be drowned out by the voices of those that loved him, those crying for him to be king would soon be crying, crucify him. He looks over the crowd and he sees all of this. Now, in the story, Jesus was descending along a road from the Mount of Olives across the brook toward the gate and the crowds thronging him. I wonder how the apostles were reacting to all of this. I've always thought that Judas was, was probably excited. Maybe he was basking in the reflected glory because Judas may have been wanting an earthly kingdom more than all the rest and he knew that he was going to be the second in command because he was holding the purse strings. I imagine that maybe Peter walked with his chest stuck out and, and his shoulders pulled back and and a smile on his face, enjoying the cheers of the crowd. It ignited his personality, and he may have kept one hand on his sword just in case he, somebody did something wrong, and he needed to pull that. He was thinking in himself, maybe, maybe it was worth leaving the fishing bank and the nets and the boats to come. Look at all these people cheering. We knew this day was going to come. Possibly, possibly there was Thomas, maybe a bit skeptical about everything that's going on and, 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 and certain that there was going to be something else that was going to go wrong. And Thomas is wondering and doubting everything that's happening around him. Maybe Andrew was overwhelmed by it all. He was so used to bringing people to Jesus one by one or in small groups that, 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 that now maybe, maybe Andrew is overwhelmed by crowds. My uh, he, he's looking around thinking, wow, look look at all of these. And then, then what about James and John? They, they perhaps were there. Do, do you suppose they were thinking about Jesus being crowned king? Perhaps one of them could, could be on his right and the other on his left and in, in positions of authority and power. Yet John kind of knew there was something that, that he's going to be having to share because he, he had a little closer revelation and understanding of who he was. And perhaps they all have it wrong. And I think if anybody would have known about who Jesus really was, it would have been John because he's the one that recorded and said that he was the one that said, I and my Father are one. If anybody was close to the revelation and understanding, perhaps it would have been John. And, and they're all here in Jerusalem now. The loving faces, the sinister faces, the, ancient, the, the anxious uh, apostles, crowds trampling uh, almost upon one another. And then the whole procession stops. It quits moving forward. It's like a modern day rush hour traffic jam. Yesterday, I was with Pastor Shostrand, who had come to 
participate in the wedding of Nathan and Andrea. And we had gone to Lafayette for an early lunch. And we're driving back, and there's some snow and ice on the road. And as we're driving back, the cars had stopped, and we were talking, and Pastor Showstrand did not see them. And they were icy roads, and I, I kind of was pressing on the floor on the other side, but it wasn't helping. And finally, I lifted my hand and kind of pointed and said, I, I think those cars are stopping, and, and, and thank the Lord we made it. And then for quite some time, it was just rolling speed, start and stop, start and stop. Now, you, you know the frustration that, that, that happens. You, you know, you can hear the people way back in the crowd. It was like me yesterday. I wonder what has happened. What's the holdup? Must have been an accident. What, what's going on? Why, why don't people just, just move on? But people that were the closest to Jesus could see. They, they knew what was happening. They realized that it was he who stopped the parade. Perhaps they, they saw him. Maybe his body was trembling and shaking. Maybe at first they thought he was laughing. For Laughter would have been natural for that moment. Everybody else was laughing and joy prevailed. But, but no, he wasn't laughing. Jesus here, Jesus is weeping. The scripture tells us that Jesus reacted emotionally many times from different scenes that he saw. When he saw the poor, when he saw the hungry, when he saw people sinning, when he saw people who were ill. The scripture says repeatedly that he had compassion on them. But it only tells us of two times when Jesus cried. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus because of people's personal loss. Mary and Martha were both weeping. And the scripture said that Jesus wept. He wept for them. He entered into their grief with compassion. He identified with their sorrow and their despair. But now, why is Jesus crying? The first time he wept, he wept over human grief. The next time here that he weeps, he weeps. Over rejection. This was the second occasion that we find Jesus weeping. He looked at the city of Jerusalem. He saw a mixture of faces and the masses of humanity crowding there. Without a doubt, he realized the emptiness of their lives. They had not heard the message of peace. They did not understand the purpose of His coming. They, they had eyes but didn't see. They had ears but they didn't hear. They missed the whole point of His message that God had given them. The fact. The fact that they waved palm branches showed that they didn't fully understand. This is what they did for generals of the army that would overthrow the Romans. They thought His kingdom is of this world. They were saying that they were ready to pick up swords and shields and go to war and lead them. But Jesus is weeping because all he wanted them to do was follow him. 
Jesus said, I didn't come for this purpose. I came to show you a more excellent way. I came to show you the way of love and of peace. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He goes on to tell them, if someone smites you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. If someone wants your coat, give them your cloak also. Don't don't hold back from them. If they ask you to carry something for a mile, carry it too. Those, Those people who listened to him must have thought, surely, surely he doesn't mean the Romans. He doesn't expect us to love the Romans. We can't love the Romans. They oppress us. They hurt us. They work against us. Yet Jesus said, love your enemies. This is exactly what he's saying. Love the ones who hate you and despise you and use you. Rome had seen the power of the sword, but they had not seen the power of love. He's telling them, show them the power of love. The nation of Israel had the opportunity to show the Romans something they had never seen before. But Jesus wept over them because they didn't understand the opportunity that they were being given. This causes Jesus to break emotionally. And again, Jesus wept. These were His people. These were the people that He had come to rescue and to save. Yet they rejected Him. They didn't recognize Him. Here they are, God's chosen people. God had loved them and led them across the wilderness, had provided for them in the promised land, but they did not understand the purpose of why that He had walked into their midst. Because of that, Jesus wept. Matthew adds to the story, That is, Jesus looked at the city. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not come. In other words, I've called you, I've begged you, but you wouldn't come. What is it that causes Jesus to weep today? When he sees the hurt and the grief and the lives of people, he is moved with compassion over your sorrow. The the writer of Hebrews said he is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Let me give you a quick three-minute wrap-up and application to this message this morning, and we'll go home. But I came this morning to tell you that Jesus is touched by how you feel today. Your infirmity, your hurt, your pain, your grief, and your sorrow all moves Him. And Jesus wept with compassion over the loss of life, over the grief of people, over the sorrow and pain that they felt. And the second thing that caused Jesus to weep was the fact that people that He came to save chose rather To reject Him. I believe the only thing today that will cause Jesus to weep is when people that are called by His name are broken. But the second thing that will cause 
heaven to weep today is people whom that he came to save continue to reject him. This is Palm Sunday today. His presence has been here. His presence has met with us. We have worshipped in His presence this morning. But I wonder what He finds when He looks on our faces. Music can come this morning. I'm done. When He looks through the room, what is it that He finds? Those, those who love Him, of course, we're gathered here today. Those who despise Him, surely not. But worst of all, those who reject Him by doing nothing at all. Perhaps what caused Jesus to weep that day was not the ones that were waving Hosanna and glad to see His arrival. It wasn't even those that sneered at Him. But it was those who knew what was going on. And they stood on the sideline said I wonder what rabbit he'll pull out of the hat I wonder how he'll get out of this one I wonder how he'll work this one out and they watched as he entered the city of Jerusalem for the last time they watched as he made his way to Calvary they may not have been the ones that cried crucify him they may not have been the ones that were weeping but they were the ones who stood on the sideline and did nothing that caused Jesus to weep I'm not preaching this morning to the one that is so far gone that their life is irreparable. And I'm not preaching to the one today that came with a passionate heart in love with Jesus more than they love life itself. But I'm reaching for the one this morning who just showed up today and said, I'm going to go through this service. Whatever happens, happens. Ultimately, Rejecting what Jesus is wanting to do in your life today. What does he see when he looks in your face this morning? What is it that Jesus sees when he looks at the expression and the attitude in which you are approaching this altar call today? Does he see somebody concerned about all the wrong things? Does he see us too worried about it being income tax season? Does he see people that are too worried about security and wealth and fame and fortune? Does he see people too focused on their own health and their own well-being? Does he see people too concerned about relationships with others instead of their relationship with him? Does he see people so busy doing other things but never considering the things of eternity being the most important thing in your life? Is heaven smiling over your appearance at Christian Life Church this morning? Or is heaven weeping today because we refuse to do anything with this incredible opportunity that we've been given while in His presence? I ask you to stand with me this morning and I'm closing and I'm opening these altars for a moment of prayer if you'd like to come and pray today. What is it that we see in Jesus when He turns His face away from us this morning? I wonder, will heaven rejoice because of one sinner that repents? Or will heaven weep over one who refuses to make a decision? Over one who rejects Him? It's Palm Sunday. 
It's almost like we're in Jerusalem. We even have a center aisle as the street today. We have people gathered on both sides. We have people who came to worship. We have people who came to celebrate. But what about those? I don't believe there's those here today that would be crying, crucify him, that would be sneering at him. But maybe there's some today that just came and said, I'm here. I'm going through the motion. And Jesus is weeping for you today. You're the one this preacher's preaching for today. It's the one who just showed up to show up, but didn't show up to participate. I call you this morning out of complacency. I call you this morning out of a point and out of a place of just standing at ease on the sideline. But there would, would there be someone today who would declare, I'm coming to step forward today. I'm coming to declare He is my King. That Jesus, that one that is meeting with us today, that one that is here, He's the reason that I came. He's my healer. He's my way maker. He's healed my children. He's brought life back into my family. It's Palm Sunday. What will you do with this day that God's given you? God bless you for responding this morning. Jesus is here. He is with you this morning. He's with you today. I surrender all to you. I give. I give. What will you do with this altar call this morning? Heaven is waiting for your response. Jesus is waiting for you this morning. What, what will you do with it? How will you respond today? It's up to you. This is your moment. heaven right now and would you sing this song as your prayer to the Lord God I, I surrender it all to you today I give it all to you everything I give to Come on, give it all to the Lord this morning. Surrender it all to Him today.